invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. That's on page 1004 of our Pew Bibles, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. I believe these are a uh, appropriate uh, New Testament commentary on Psalm 142 uh, that will be our sermon text, but hear God's word. Hebrews chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things— in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father God, may we ever give you thanks and praise uh, that you are not only the God of our salvation, but the God who speaks to us in your word. Thank you as well for giving to us your Holy Spirit, Father, uh, that not only enables us to understand, but uh, it's your Holy Spirit uh, that convicts us of sins, comforts us with the promises of your word, your Holy Spirit that always points us to the promises of Christ. And Lord, may your word uh, be at work in each of our hearts as your Holy Spirit is stirring uh, within each one of us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I would invite you to uh, keep your Bibles open to Psalm 142. But in my best Latin, post tenebras lux. It's a Latin phrase for after darkness, light. Now this phrase, after darkness, light, served as the model for the gospel renewal of the Lord's church during the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. It's the Latin Vulgate translation of Job chapter 17 Verse 12, which in English reads, They make night into day, saying, The light is near in the presence of darkness. If you traveled at all, or you can find the pictures, the same scriptural phrase 
spiritual phrase. After darkness, light is engraved on the wall of the Reformers uh, there in Geneva, Switzerland. Discovered as well, it's also on the Huguenot Monument in Franschhoek, South Africa. Uh, A contingent of of Huguenots fled there during the time of persecution. What does the phrase mean? Uh, Michael Reeves helps us. He, He writes that Reformation occurs when the light of God's word shines into places of spiritual and cultural darkness and transforms the people of God. And so one of the questions before us today is this. How can we know God's hope in our dark days? Maybe you're ending 2018 and, and it's not a strong finish. You're hoping, praying that you'll make it to the finish line, or maybe uh, as you're looking ahead at 2019, uh, there's a a sense of dread, fear. How can we know God's hope in our dark days? Uh, Again, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 142, uh, this Psalm of David, In our Pew Bibles, it's on page 523. You know, look at the introduction, uh, the superscription there. We learn that it's a mascal of David. A mascal is a well-written song of David, graciously given to us by God uh, to instruct us in our daily and difficult walk of faith. A mascal of David when he was in the cave. We went through the book of 1 Samuel. There were two occasions when David was in a cave. 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, he was hiding uh, from King Saul who sought to kill him. And scripture tells us that David was in that cave of Adullam with those in debt who were distressed and discontented. It's more likely that Psalm 142 refers to the, another occasion when David was in a cave. First Samuel chapter 24, the cave in the wilderness of En Gedi. Uh, you remember that time David and his men were in the cave. King Saul entered that cave. David had the opportunity uh, to kill Saul. And by God's grace, for God's glory, David resisted killing Saul. But David was in a cave, deep darkness. If you've ever been in a cave and they turn the lights out, uh, you, you know what it's like. But here, finally, we learn that it's a prayer. You know, a teaching psalm of David written when he was in the cave, and, and yet it's a prayer. As we go through Psalm 142, you'll see it's an intensely personal and, and powerful prayer. You know, David here is crying out to the Lord, and he receives assurance, the Lord's assurance of salvation hope. And our theme as we study Psalm 142 this morning is this, that in my darkest days, the Lord's sovereign promises provide assurance of salvation hope. 
And so another question then is, how can I, how can you, how can I live with assurance of salvation hope even in the dark days? And it begins here, verses 1 and 2, with a a hopeful plea to the Lord. Look there at Psalm 142, verse 1. Now, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. You know, as we go through this psalm, note how often uh, we encounter the personal pronouns, I or my. If, if you do a count, my, my guesstimate, you can check, 27 times in seven verses. And, and with his own voice, David cries out to the Lord. What, what does it mean, uh, again, to cry out to the Lord? It's an audible expression of anguish. Uh, There's a real sense of urgency in this plea of David. Uh, We could compare it uh, to the plea of blind Bartimaeus there in Mark chapter 10. uh, Jesus was passing by and blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, there's a great need, an urgent need. And David has his passionate, personal plea here. But but there's a focus uh, to this plea. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. And you'll see it again the second time in verse 1. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. You know, he's not crying out so that he can... um, get the the sensitive encouragement from family or friends. He's crying out directly to the Lord. He's crying out to his faithful, to his covenant-keeping God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who made a covenant with David. It's a personal plea, but it's a plea for mercy as well. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. He's making supplication. David here is pleading for God's unmerited favor. He's humbly asking for God's grace. You know, it's an audible prayer. You know, two times we hear that expression again, with my voice, with my voice. Too often, and Lord knows I'm, I'm guilty, you know, we pray silently. You know, and, and it's good. The Lord, the Lord hears the prayers of our mind and our heart. You know, but there's a time when it's good to pray out loud. Not that the Lord can't hear us, but, but it's good for our own hearts. Audible prayer. You know, especially when we're struggling with despair, discouragement, spiritual defeat. And maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I don't want anyone to hear me when I'm praying like that. Well, pray when you're in your car and you're alone. Turn off the radio. Pull out the earbuds. Pray out loud in your backyard. Pray out loud in the deer stand. You know, nothing's showing up. You might as well spend the time praying. You know, pray when you're in the kitchen. No no one's in the house. 
pray out loud to the Lord. That's what David is doing here. I believe it will strengthen your prayer life. And a side benefit as well, it's hard to fall asleep when you're praying out loud. You know, you close your eyes and you're praying silently early in the morning, late at night. David is pleading for God's mercy, but it's a plea of distress as well. I I pour out, verse 2, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. You know, let us humbly declare our distress to the Lord who hears and answers are our prayers of faith. The Lord has strong, broad shoulders. Remember that David prays his prayer in a dark, dark cave. Charles Spurgeon writes this about praying in a cave. Quote, caves make good closets for prayer. Their gloom and solitude are helpful to the exercise of devotion. You know, and here David is not just praying, but but I love this expression, he's pouring out his complaint. No, David's not holding back. He he doesn't deny his distress. He, He doesn't bottle up his complaint. He doesn't suppress his serious trouble. Uh, But note that repeated phrase, I pour out my complaint before him, before the Lord. This is not, a, I believe, a a corporate prayer meeting and David wants to whine in front of an audience. You know, he's praying out before the Lord. I, I tell my trouble before him. You know, he's pleading with the Lord in his trouble. Uh, This is a hopeful plea to the Lord. John Newton, uh, the sinful slave-trading ship captain, came to a strong faith in Christ, once wrote this. You know, thinking about our troubles. Your trouble begins at the hour he, that is the Lord, your trouble begins at the hour he saw best. It could not come before. And he has marked the degree of it to a hair's breadth and its duration to a minute. You know, Scripture may not provide us with every minute detail of David's plea for mercy or what compelled him to pour out his complaint uh, before the Lord. You know, but let us always remember the, the priority of prayer, of, of pleading in prayer with the Lord even in our days of great spiritual struggle. I believe that Satan tempts us to say, well, the Lord doesn't hear, the Lord doesn't care, don't bother him. You know, quite the opposite. Look at what scripture is teaching us here. You know, there's no panic in David's prayer. No, No paralyzing fear, no lack of faith. In his strong and sovereign God. It's a hopeful plea that he is directing to the Lord. But secondly, in verses 3 and 4, we see a hopeful path 
in darkness. Not only a hopeful plea there in the opening verses, now a hopeful path in the darkness. And there are strong feelings in, in this prayer and a stronger faith. You know, in that first feeling, David is, I believe, is feeling overwhelmed. You know, look at verse 3. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. You know, when I have a fainting, feeble, weak spirit. You know, when do we feel faint? You know, physical exhaustion after a hard day of work. Lack of food. We haven't been sleeping well. Maybe there's a spiritual frailty as well. We see that this same truth, if you go back to, or go ahead to Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, here Jonah is in the belly of a great fish. We could almost insert Jonah is in a cave, a deep, dark cave. And part of Jonah's prayer, Jonah 2, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, there's that word, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And when we're feeling our weakest, that's when we most need prayer. And, and what gives David and gives us reassurance? Look again, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. You know my path. There's a hopeful path even in, in the darkness. You know, David's prayer is strengthened by his real hope in the providence of God. We don't see that word providence. You know, but, but what's God's providence? You know, our shorter catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11, has the answer you know, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. You know, and here we can see that worked out here in the life of, of David. Lord, you, you know, you, and, and that word know is a relationship word. You intimately, personally, fully, lovingly know me. You know my path. You know the road I'm traveling on, my walk of faith. You know, it's God that orders our steps. Psalm chapter 1 verse 6 puts it this way, Psalm 1 verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know, here when David is feeling overwhelmed, you know, there's a wonderful, a glorious, memorable statement of faith. Lord, you know my way. David's not only feeling overwhelmed, but he is feeling blindsided. Again, verse 3, second part of verse 3. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. You know, they have hidden a snare for me. You know, for those of you who are hunters, trappers, or you watch the shows on TV, you know, you have a rough idea what a trap or a snare is. The idea is that uh, you, you want to hide it, you want to conceal it, you want to put it on a path where the animal you want to trap travels, you put a scent on it, 
you know, you, you cover it up with leaves or whatever so that they will not notice that it's there. You know, it's a deceitful disguise. And here, just as an application, don't be surprised when Satan and his sinful servants seek to ensnare you with the temptations, the evil temptations of this world. Think of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden being tempted by the appealing and yet forbidden fruit. Cain foolishly became ensnared by a sinful anger against his brother Abel. Think of the snares of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. David ensnared by a sinful lust for Bathsheba. Peter, the apostle Peter, you know, ensnared by his pride. When he told the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, even, even if everyone else falls away, even if any, everyone else betrays you, Lord, I will never fall away. You know, beware of Satan's hidden snares in your paths, 2019. You know, learn from your past sins. Use the bright light of God's word to reveal those hidden snares. I believe that as we pray and use the word of God, the Lord will enable us to see those snares and to step over them, avoid them. Earnestly seek God's gracious guidance in prayer. There's a hopeful path in the darkness. David's feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling blindsided. But finally, he's feeling abandoned there in verse 4. Somewhat difficult verse. Uh, There are two commands there at the beginning. You know, look to the right and, and see. And so the question is, you know, who is David giving these commands to? Well, if this is a prayer, the best way of understanding it, I believe, in context is, you know, David is giving these commands to the Lord. Either out of his despair, boldness of faith, you know, look to the right and see. You know, why, why does David ask God or command God to look to the right hand? As you go through scripture, the right hand was the usual placement for your advocate, for your helper. Uh, The psalmist says, Psalm 16, verse 8, because he, because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And and here to uh, translate this verse, David believes that when the Lord himself looks to David's right hand, he'll see that that spot is vacant. And so basically, David is crying out here to the Lord, Lord, why aren't you at my right hand? You know, where are you, Lord? I'm hurting, I'm struggling. Take a look, Lord. You know, I'm feeling all alone in this battle. There is no one who takes notice of me. You know, David felt abandoned by all. David felt abandoned by family, friends, even by the Lord. You ever felt like that? 
no refuge. Last part of verse 4, no refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. It's not an isolated incident in Scripture. Elijah was alone in the wilderness, you know, being fed by the ravens. Job, after all of his family was gone, all of his friends failed him. Think of even Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, his disciples failed him. You know, could you not stay awake one hour? You know, there's a great old gospel hymn. It's not in our Trinity hymnal. The title of the hymn is, Does Jesus Care? Did a little bit of study about it, written by Frank E. Graff back in 1901. Actually, was a pastor. Reverend Graff was a Methodist minister in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania region, different Methodist churches, married and never had children. But it said he suffered great and difficult trials in his life, especially struggled with grief. Um, His parents died um, before he was 41, lost at least two sisters, other family members. And, And listen to a few verses of this hymn of the faith. And just as a side note, personal note, if you uh, do a YouTube search, the best version, in my opinion, is uh, uh, there's a duet by Guy Penrod, who used to sing with uh, the Gaithers, and he actually sings with George Beverly Shea uh, before he went home to glory. And, and it's a duet. George Beverly Shea, who sang with Billy Graham, is still singing at 102. And uh, you, you can see it. But here are the words of the hymn. Two verses. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Next verse. Does Jesus care when my way is dark? With a nameless dread and fear, as the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? And then there's a wonderful refrain. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. You know, where's the Lord's sovereign promise of hope uh, here in, in these verses, Psalm 142, 3 and 4? Just two words to take away in, in these verses. Well, two words in the Hebrew. You know my path. Lord, you're intimately, lovingly, graciously acquainted with the way I'm walking. You are near. You know, it's called the first summit of hope here in Psalm 142. You know, the Lord knows our path. You know, that's one 
scriptural takeaway here from Psalm 142. As we're fixing to enter into 2019, know this, the Lord knows my path. I don't know what's going to happen. The Lord knows what's going to happen with the stock market or government shutdown or, or you name it. But the Lord knows my path. He leads us. He loves us. He's our light in Christ. Third, there's a hopeful portion in the Lord. A hopeful plea, a hopeful path. And now in verses 5 and 6, there's a hopeful portion in the Lord. If there's one verse worth memorizing, they're all worth memorizing, but especially verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You know, I cry to you, O Lord. It's almost an echo of the opening verse there, verse 1. Here we're at the second summit of Psalm 142. Two things David declares about the Lord. You are my refuge. Notice David doesn't say, Lord, you are a refuge or you are the refuge. He says, you are my refuge. What's a refuge? A a strong shelter. A security in in stormy seasons. It's a place of hope. With the warfare, the conflict, the conflict, Fusion all around us, Lord, you're, you're my refuge. Secondly, you're, you're my portion. Again, not a portion or the portion, Lord, you're my portion. You know, what, what's a portion? It, it, it's difficult to encapsulate the, the whole scriptural truth about this, this word, but, but let me give you... Um, a, a brief definition and then a scriptural example. A portion is a promise of a sure inheritance. Whether it be money or whether it be land. And when you had the assurance that that was going to be your, your inheritance, uh, you knew that, that you would receive it. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 24 is the scriptural example. Lamentation 3 verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. His portion is not in any earthly inheritance, not in any money, stocks, bonds, cars, boats, planes, guns. Silver, you you name it. Lord, you're my portion. Matthew Henry helps us here. He writes, Those who in sincerity take the Lord for their God shall find him all-sufficient, both as a refuge and a portion so that as no evil shall hurt them, no good, so no good shall be wanting to them, and they may humbly claim their interest. Lord, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. You know, that, that's a present reality. 
but I believe as well it points us to the land where we will be eternally alive with the Lord. So there is that cry of faith, and again David cries out to the Lord in verse 6, attend to my cry. It's a command again here. Lord, Lord, listen, give ear to my cry, for for I am brought very low. The, the, the storm has not yet passed here. You know, there, there's a real spiritual struggle taking place here. It's a different word for cry here than, than is used in verse 1 or verse 5. Here it's, it's more of a ringing cry, a lamentation. Lord, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Put it in uh, terms that we might understand today. Lord, my spiritual fuel tank is near and empty. You know, Lord, I'm running on fumes. I'm not sure I can make it another day, Lord. Attend to my cry. And again, David cries out here, knowing that the Lord is his hopeful portion. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Now, this is quite the opposite of, of, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, this is your best life now. Lord, I'm going through real struggle. I'm under attack. I can't do it myself. You know, deliver me, rescue me from these foes. Psalm 119, 170, we read this, almost an echo, Psalm 119, 170. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. You know, deliver me according to the promises of your word. Lord, I'm claiming your promises here. I'm trusting in you, even in this time of trial and tribulation. You know, deliver me from from my strong persecutors. You know, when Christians hear the Lord's promise to be my refuge and my portion, it's pointing us ahead to God's greater and more glorious, more, more gracious promise in Christ. You know, here again, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Don't want to have two sermons this morning, two sermon texts. But here again, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, God's grace in Christ is the anchor for our soul. He is strong. He is secure. He is our saving God. And then Hebrews 6 speaks of the one who enters into the holy place behind the veil. And that's none other than Christ who enters into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for our sins, to pay the price for our salvation there on the cross of Calvary. You know, there, there is cause always for gospel hope. 
you know, hopeful living in 2019. Again, you might be feeling hopeless this morning. Family struggles, you know, financial issues. You know, how am I ever going to retire? Health concerns. You know, here again, the Lord's sovereign promise in Psalm 142, verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Finally, we conclude with the hopeful promise of light for the believer. Verse 7, quickly. David is not done crying out to the Lord. It's, it's striking how many times David faithfully, fervently cries out to the Lord. And the Lord does not grow tired of hearing David's prayer. The final plea here, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. It said that this is the only passage in the whole Psalter where the poet designates the distress in which he finds himself as a prison. You know, a little step beyond the cave. You can, you can get out of the cave even if you're trying to hide from someone, but when you're in prison, you're locked in there. Bring me out of solitary confinement. Bring me out of the painful stocks out of this dread dungeon. And you you think of all the biblical believers who were cruelly, unjustly imprisoned. Joseph, two times. Daniel, Paul and Silas in our own day, Andrew Brunson. And, And yet without taking a breath, David moves from his prayer of faith to a proclamation of praise. Bring me out of prison, why? that I might give thanks to your name. Don't, don't forget that last part. You know, when the Lord brings you and me out of that, that prison, delivers us from that snare, that distress, let us always remember to give thanks to his name. And in hope, David looks to the future. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. It's almost a word picture here. We could think of this as a church gathering. The righteous will surround me or will crown me. It can be translated. But, but it's a picture of, of heaven, I believe. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we read this. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, people, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now here David knows the righteous will surround me. Evil, the enemy, Satan, will not win the day. For you will deal bountifully with me. The Lord's hope in deep darkness. There's a lot of theories, speculations as to why 
Uh, we celebrate uh, Christmas, the Lord's Incarnation, December 25th. I won't uh, weary you with all the explanations. You can look them up yourself, but one that makes uh, the most sense scripturally, I believe, is this. This year, December 21st, was the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year, fewest days of sunlight. Here in Cajun country, 10 hours and 11 minutes, I think, sun up to sun down. You know, and in the midst of the deep darkness, you know, our own deep darkness here on earth, the shortest, darkest day of the year, we would say, you know, what do we celebrate? Celebrate the birth, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, that's what gives us hope. So my prayer for, for us all and as a church that here in 2019 that, that we would be those people of hope. Hope in Christ. Many reasons to despair, to doubt, to be discouraged in the world around us. But with Christ there is always hope. The hope of forgiveness of sins. The hope of salvation the hope of life eternal. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the hope you give to us in Christ. Lord, may our hope indeed be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.